Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Kiddushanu Bemetzotah Betzibanu La'asok Bedivrei Torah Beharevna Adonai Eloheinu Et Divrei Torateka Befinu Ufi Amka Beit Yisrael Venie Anaknu Veta Etainu Veta Etae Amka Beit Yisrael Kulano Yodea Shemeka Venomde Torateka Lishma Baruch Atah Adonai Am lame Torah leamo Yisrael. Baruch ata Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher bachar banu mikol haamim, venatan lanu et Torato. Baruch ata Adonai, noten ha-Torah. Amen. May it be your will, Hashem, my God, that a mishap not come about through me, and may I not stumble in a matter of law and cause my colleague just rejoice over me. And may I not say regarding something which is to me that it is to hoard. And now regard something which is to hoard that it is to me. And may I not, and may my colleagues not stumble in a matter of law and I rejoice over them. For Hashem grants wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding of God. Unveil my eyes that I may perceive wonders from your Torah. Amen. Amen. Mashiach now. I'd like to welcome you to the Ruminations study, and we are back in Parsha Bereshit. Getting to start the Torah all over anew again, and want to send everyone a bracha of chazak and things that were formerly closed. May they now be opened, and may we continue to grow in our Torah learning. I'm into that. So crazy to see rumination number one. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Indeed. Shabbat bear sheet coming right up. The 13 petals. Mm-hmm. So, amen, rumination number one, and this will be like the sixth year I've been going through these. Wow. Um, is a literal reading of creation, of the creation account, really that important hmm. yeah you know um rabbi jonathan sachs of blessed memory i think it was him and also rabbi manis friedman that uh said that the reading of the creation account is definitely allegorical which I thought was interesting because you would think it's Peshat. Like it's just straight out, like just telling you what's up. And it's just like, well, on one level, yeah, but it's actually, it's deeper than that. And that's something I've never thought about before. So I'm actually looking forward to this rumination to break that down. (laughs) Yeah. With that statement, apples from the orchard. Of course. The writings of the Ari. Let's do it.
Um, but first, before I delve into that, it is necessary to read Rashi's comment on the very first verse of the Torah. It's one that everyone should have memorized. Um, you know, with those first three words, it should be pointed out that the verb bara is a singular verb, which mm -hmm. singularizes a masculine plural noun. There is no duality in this verse whatsoever. There is none. Anyone who knows Hebrew grammar as they should will realize this when they read this verse. There are those who hold to the doctrine of the Trinity that seem to think that it, this is a plurality, but that to show their ignorance of Hebrew grammar. Wow. Or they just simply don't care. They rather have their homiletic uh, traditions. Well, if you have no foundation in Torah or you remove yeah. the foundation of Torah, then that's the things you're opening yourself up to. Yep. You know, just all kinds of misinterpretation. Not to mention the fact that you're going to lead many astray. They won't yeah. truly come to know the Holy One, blessed be He, in His unity, in His oneness. Right. Um, I am reminded in Exodus 32 when Hashem places Moshe in the cleft of the rock and tells him, I will cause all my goodness to pass before you. Um, so to begin, so here's another question, and you know, why doesn't the Torah start off with the greatest mitzvah of all? Right. Um, and we open this rumination with, for the past 150 years, people have sought to reconcile the Genesis account of creation with scientific theory. Many have brought, many have bought into the scientific view. It's my assumption that the way he says this is that those who just simply stick to the scientific, ignoring, sounds like. yeah, ignoring the allegorical, ignoring the the sod, the deeper meaning of creation. Why are we here? Why was it created in the first place? Science cannot answer those questions. Although science, in my opinion, is not too far removed from Kabbalah, because I believe the two explain each other. Yeah, that's what uh, Rob Ginsburg brings down. It's uh, science is the lower wisdom. And it's uh, likened it's likened to Bina and Malkut. So Torah is Bina, science is Malkut. 
yeah, the first uh, triad of the Sephira, which is the divine intellect. Yeah. Um, wow. So like intellect versus emotion. Yes. Which is All interesting this- the way everybody gets worked up over science. Exactly. See, this is, you have to separate your intellect from emotional reaction. Emotional reaction precludes the fact of self-awareness, self-awareness of your identity, self-awareness of your ego, self-awareness of your existence outside the totality of Hashem. So if you're going to strictly lean to the scientific view, then you're missing the boat. True. You know, the view that all life sprang from a single source apart from God. You know, how is that possible? The question I would be asking is, okay, so what is the purpose of life? Why are we here? Yeah. If you're saying that creation is completely independent and non-dependent on anything, then why? How can it maintain itself? How can it continue to exist? I remember I saw a documentary years ago on the Discovery Channel of Stephen Hawking attempting to answer this question. Hmm. Unfortunately, he falls short. So he falls on this supposed axiom that there was no time for God. And therein lies the answer within the question. Because he exists outside of time. He is nonlinear. Ain't so. All things, everything emanates from him. Mm. You know, like the old Amalam prayer that's usually recited in the morning before the morning prayers mm-hmm. in that Adam Adam Olam Asher Malak Yitzir Nira yeah. Master of the universe who existed before any form created which is interesting because that's the conclusion of the bedtime Shema as well and remember how you talked about in previous episodes that what you fall asleep studying and, and thinking about is what you normally wake up thinking about? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's what the sages say in Avoda Zara 20b, just before the, uh, the discourse by uh, Rabbi uh, Yair, I believe it is. Um, which the Ramkal quotes in the 26th chapter of uh, Path of the Just, Mm -hmm. that you should beware of any evil thing lest you come to Tuma by night. Yes. Um, But yeah, um, not to digress too much. um, To support that view, it is believed requires a vast amount of time 
The millions of years of evolution are proclaimed as fact in virtually every textbook in the world. That's what I studied in school. Yep, same here. Uh, who hasn't, you know? <laughs> Good old Darwin. <laughs> you know, it's... Does a follower of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob need to take the Genesis account literally? <laughs> Can it simply be a matter of semantics? Beloved, it's not that simple. As we stated at the beginning of this episode, it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I just got out Rashi and Rambam because I want to give the the the, the Peshat. Mm -hmm. The logic of Rambam is quite clear. I mean, he just. But what I'm going to do here is read Rashi. Okay. So, in the beginning of, Rav Yitzhak said, God need not have begun the Torah, but from this month shall be for you the beginning of months. That's the very first instruction that Hashem gives Israel, right there. Because it is the first commandment which Israel was commanded. What is the reason that he began with the book of Genesis? It began thus because he wished to convey the message of the verse, the power of his acts he told to his people mm. in order to give them the estate of nations so that if the nations of the world will say to Israel, you are bandits for you conquered the lands of the seven nations who inhabited the land of Canaan. Israel will say to them, the whole earth belongs to the Holy One, blessed be he. He created it. And he gave it. And he gave it to the one found proper in his eyes. By his wish, he gave it to them. And by his wish, he took it from them and gave it to us. And then he continues in the beginning of God's creating. This verse says nothing but expound me i.e. the verse demands to be expounded. It is to be understood as our rabbis of blessed memory expounded it for the Torah, which is called the beginning of his way, and for Israel, who are called the first of his crop. And they are quoting, Rashi quoting the sages, who, who are quoting, in turn, Proverbs 8.22, and also Tankuma Yashan 5. And then Jeremiah 2, verse 3. You know, it's never taken into account that the seven nations, where did they come from? And when the earth was divided up between the three sons of Noah, you know, who got the portion that belongs to Israel? And the seven nations, while Israel was down in Mitzrayim, 
they're the ones that came in and took what wasn't theirs. So just thinking about how before the nations even existed, Hashem owning all of creation, and then you take into account all the history of really the way the world was apportioned. And then what were those seven nations doing while Yisrael was in Mitzrayim? Because we weren't supposed to be there. You know, remember when we brought Yaakov back up to bury him at the cave? We should have never went back to Mitzrayim after that. But it says the land took hold of us. Yeah, what's interesting to note is that his brother sold, sold Yosef into slavery with the, the Midianites. You know, throw him into a pit where the sages equate that with not being able to study Torah. Oh, wow. Um, you know, he was sold into Egypt and it went, it went on from there. Um, I mean, in a sense, you could look at evolution as the same thing, trying to toss people into a pit where they, we don't want you to learn. Wow. About God. Wow. This is the problem with evolutionary thinking. They're putting themselves up as an Elohim. And therein lies the problem is now you've become totally subjective. You're going to view the world through subjective eyes rather than dispassionate, objective eyes. That is, you know, through the eyes of the Holy One, blessed be he, uh, his holy Torah. Um, so since you say that, that makes me think of Sika. Sika, I had to sneeze. Um, that makes me think of uh, Jeroboam, the one who put up the two golden calves to keep people from making Aliyah oh, for the yeah, pilgrimage. Don't need to go to Jerusalem. It's too hard for you. Yep. And all of Israel fell into idolatry. And thus were carried away into Assyria, which is the cruelest of enemies that Israel has to deal with. Mm -hmm. um, and then we know later on, you know, Judah, you know, it was a span of a, uh, I think it, either it's 500 or it's a thousand years that Hashem was graceful during the times of the kings. Wow. I, I, you know, even if it's only 500, it's still he, he, his mercy that he showed, you know, has said is incredible. And finally, it just reached a point, you know, just like uh, with Saddam and Gomorrah. Their, yeah. self, their selfishness reached a point, you know, where they just, Shem said, you guys aren't thinking about anything else but yourselves. 
you know, pursuing pleasure, this and that, and you're not even thinking about me. Yeah, it's interesting because Tishrei is the month of the scales, you know, and the just the just judge, you know, and having the uh, the proper scales and things like that. And so to think about the measure that has to be filled in order for the judgment to go forth, you know, and just thinking about if Hashem was waiting that long, you know, why was there not a wake up call, you know, to each of the kings? Because they all just continued and continued heart and heart, heart and heart, you know, which echoes Kepha, uh his letter where he says, don't think Hashem is slow in keeping his promise. Yep. As some man count slackness, or I think what he's really trying to say there is that you may think that he's slacking off, but no, he's not. Because right. all these deeds are going down in the books in the heavenly court. And um, I think it's Shaul in Ephesians that talks about the coming wrath of the sons of perdition. Like basically storing up wrath is happening to people who operate as sons of disobedience. Yeah. Um, oh, it's Colossians. Uh, almost sounds like he's describing the era of wrath. Wow. Yeah. Um, because I have that book as well, Unlocking the Secret of the Era of Wrath. Um, Rabbi Nachman and Likute Mohoran uncovered a prayer. There are 10 psalms that can be recited to bring uh, rectification for the Era of Wrath. Really? Nice. He, he died shortly after uncovering this secret. Man, that's how intense this was. Probably his passing is because this secret is so filled with divine light that you're just consumed. Mm -hmm. Not not in a bad way, probably not in the way that Nadav and Abihu were consumed by fire. But rather that he was possibly reabsorbed back into the totality of Hashem, maybe. Yeah, I mean, you never know. Yeah, it's just pure speculation on my part. That's the only thing I could come up with as to the reason why he would be taken out of the world, because he was a Zadik of that generation holding the world together as we have today. That's like the uh, the one rabbi who revealed the name of the Mashiach, and he said, "Don't, don't oh, share yeah. this until after my death." Yeah, exactly the same thing, you know. So, so there would appear to be some support for that, but you know, it, it needs to be substantiated more. Right. True that. Um. Yeah, Rashi continues. Um, 
if you would come to explain it according to its simple meaning, explain it as follows. In the beginning of the creation of the heavens and the earth, when the earth was bewilderment and void and there was darkness, God said, let there be light. The verse does not come to teach the order of creation by saying that the heaven, heavens and the earth came first. For if this is what came, what it came to teach us, it should have written, at first he created the heavens, etc. For you have no instance of the word reshit in scripture that is not attached to the word that follows it. Such as at the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim. The beginning of his kingdom. The first of your grain, here too, you should say that this phrase is to be understood as in the beginning of the creating. Similar to it is the beginning of Hashem speaking to Hosea. That is to say, the beginning of the speech of the Holy One, blessed be he, to Hosea. Hashem said to Hosea, etc., if you will say that the phrase Be'erashi bara Elohim comes to teach us that these, the heavens and the earth, were created first at the very beginning of creation, and its meaning is at the beginning of everything. He created these, i.e. the heavens and the earth. And this would not be a forced reading of the verse, for you have verses which abbreviate their wording and omit a single word, such as, for he did not close the doors of my belly. But the verse did not specify who is one who closes, and such as, he will carry off the wealth of Damascus, but the verse did not specify who will carry it off. And such as, would he plow with the cattle, but did not specify, would a person plow with the cattle? So this is what Rashi's doing. He's, he's bringing out the grammar by referring to other places in the Tanakh with, with similar grammar or grammatic structure to, to make his point. Shiva. Yeah, exactly. But using, uh, like you said, using the grammar. Yeah. Because there are several permutations of the word uh, Be'erashit, because if you rearrange the letters of that word, you have Tishrei. You have Rosh, the head. You have Et, which happens to be the middle word of the seven. Coincidence? You also I have, think you, not. Uh, you have Bara. So there's really a menorah here in this first verse. Wow. Also, also note there are 28 uh, letters. In this first verse, 
divisible by four, which is seven. And if you go to the word et, you can count seven letters from there to each word, to the word on the right and to the word on the left. Hmm. Basically, the number seven permeates this verse. I mean, just in this verse alone, you have a reference or an allusion to the seven days. The seventh day, Shabbat, the bookend of creation. I'm just thinking about the, the menorah with the way that the three branches on one side and the three branches on the other point towards the center. Yep. Oh, yeah. And that's another thing which I discovered years ago is uh, ELS coding, equal distant letter spacing. Yes. Um, starting with the letter top, count 49 letters and you'll it'll spell the word Torah. Same in Exodus. But when you come to Vayikra, you will you every eighth letter um, if I remember correctly it spells uh, Yeshua then when you get to uh, Bamidbar and Devarim the word Torah is spelled backwards as if they are pointing towards Sefer Vayikra that center branch and also in my sudur, and I shared this on Marco Polo earlier with this other group of folks that I'm volunteering with. You're on Marco Polo. Yeah, you can find me there if you. Um, but anyway, nice. shameless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. shameless. <laughs> but anyway, there are 49 words in Psalm 67 that comprise oh, all no. that comprise all the outer branches. The center branch has 49 letters. That so is you just say, whoever recites this as it is written is as if he lit the menorah. I mean, how appropriate is that, especially now? You know, these last couple of days of Sukkot, and we read this very first verse of the Torah, which happens to have seven words. 28 letters. Wow. wow. Um, so now what I'll do is I'll get out the Ramban and I'm going to go with him. Okay. I like what the Ramban says too. That this is really good. Okay. Ramban's introduction to the book of Genesis. Many of the books of the prophets begin with a brief description of the author, his city, and the period in which he flourished. The opening verses of the Torah, however, omit any such biographical information. Ramban explains why. Our teacher Moses committed this book, Genesis, to writing, along with the entire Torah. After hearing it directly from the mouth of the Holy One, blessed be he, it is most likely that he wrote Genesis at Mount Sinai, for it was there that it was said to him. 
ascend to me to the mountain and remain there, and I shall give you the stone tablets and the instruction. Note the word instruction. And the commandment that I have written to teach them. Look what is look what he's Ramban is saying here. Commandment that I have written, Katav, Shnei Lukot. I mean, we know cults all start around a single man. But this is a stir, this is a strong reminder that the Torah was given in the presence of, of the, the entire nation of Israel. And it was offered to all 70 nations, and they just made an excuse, like the sages say in Avorazera 3b. Um, for the phrase, the stone tablets includes the tablets themselves and the writing on them, meaning the 10 statements. And the phrase, the commandment, refers to the totality of the commandments, positive and negative. Thus, the phrase, Torah, and the instruction, includes the collection of narratives from the beginning of Genesis, which is called the instruction because it instructs, more, i.e. guides people along the path in matters of faith. Then after Mose, Moshe's descent from the mountain, where he received the entire Torah, he committed the text to writing from the beginning of the Torah until the end of the narrative of the tabernacle. And the completion of the Torah, he wrote at the end of the 40th year of the Israelites wandering, as he said, at that time, to the Levites, take this book of the Torah and place it at the side of the Ark of the Covenant of Hashem, your God, Deuteronomy 31, 26. This account of Moshe's writing of the Torah is in accordance with the sage who maintains that the Torah was given as a series of smaller documents, Gittin 68. However, according to the one who maintains that the Torah was given as a single seal, i.e. complete document. All of the Torah was committed to writing in the 40th year when the command was given to Moshe. So now, write this psalm for yourselves and teach it to the children of Israel. Place it in their mouth. Deuteronomy 31, 19. And Moshe commanded, take this book of the Torah and place it at the side of the Ark of the Covenant of Hashem, your God. I did verse 26. Ramban now explains why Moshe's name does not appear at the beginning of the Torah. In either event, it would have been appropriate to write at the beginning of the book of Genesis. And God spoke to Moshe all these things, saying, However, the reason it was written in this anonymous manner is that our teacher Moshe did not write the Torah in the first person, like the prophets who mentioned themselves in their prophecies. As it says repeatedly in Ezekiel, and the word of Hashem came to me, saying, Son of Man. And as it is said regarding the prophet uh, Jeremiah, the word of Hashem came to me, saying, Jeremiah 1, 4, etc. 
Rather, a teacher of Moshe recorded the events of all the earlier generations of his own genealogy and the events and biography in the third person. Therefore, it says, and God spoke to Moshe and said to him, this is a phrase replete throughout the Torah. Biomer Adonai El Moshe. Lay more. You, that's it. The first four books of the Torah, in particular, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. You see this phrase along with Vayidaber, Adonai El Moshe, Lay more. You also see that one as well. The two most often used phrases. Because it's Hashem speaking to Moshe. There's one time where it actually says Vayomer Moshe yep. to Hashem. And that was in Parshat Pinchas when he was asking Hashem to give the people a shepherd when it was his time to leave because he didn't get to go into the land. And Hashem appoints Yehoshua. Yep. And note that that is well, that is within the will of Hashem. Because in Exodus, we find that Hashem appointed Moshe as a shepherd. Nice. Over Israel. See, so that's very important. That's a very, very important point because nothing said should ever contradict the Torah. That's right. Should always then be. you end up in Deuteronomy 13. Yep. And 18. And uh, 30 verse 11. Should we uh, do another shameless plug for our very own Dario, Dario, a.k.a. Yehoshua, because he has a YouTube channel. Oh, way to go, Dario. <laughs> it's called Bringing Christians to Torah Through Yeshua. So that's a, a, <laughs> a mouthful. <laughs> but um, when you check him out, he has a, a beautiful breakdown of uh, explaining things, you know, like this. And Deuteronomy 13 was one of them. Because the whole understanding of who Yeshua is, based off the way he's taught by the church and by Christianity, you know, he, Yeshua ends up violating Deuteronomy 13. And Chasve Shalom, because that's Lashon Hara. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because he himself didn't do any of these things, but yet there's people saying he did. So it's just like, so is he lying or are, <laughs> you know, but anyway, he, he does a, he's got some videos up that uh, breaks that down and he kind of walks through it. So. Well, even our uh, own master says when he's asked about um, Matai 21, I believe when a, uh, Zedek King comes to him and asks about marriage and divorce. 
which they don't believe in the afterlife. They don't, yeah, they don't believe in the Olam Haba. <laughs> and the master just blatantly tells him, you err in your interpretation of scripture. Mm. Don't you know that he who created them created them male and female? Nice. And that they shall be one flesh. I mean, he comes right out and says it, you know. Yeah, it's uh, Matthew 19. It's 19? Okay, thanks. Yeah. Well, like a show. You got your back, man. Brothers in arms. <laughs> That's what we do. Let's uh, see. So you did you conclude, Rambon? There was one more. Yeah, I was just in that second paragraph. See, see, however, the reason it was written in this anonymous manner is that our teacher Moshe did not write the Torah in the first person like the prophets who mentioned themselves in their prophecies. As it says repeatedly in Ezekiel, and the word of Hashem came to me saying, son of man, as it is said regarding the prophet Jeremiah, the word of Hashem came to me saying, Jeremiah 1.4, rather our teacher Moshe recorded all the events of the earlier generations in his own genealogy and events and biography in the third person. Therefore, it says, and God spake to Moses and said to him, Exodus 6.2, as, as a narrator speaking about two other people. Hmm. And because this is the case, Moshe is not mentioned in the Torah until he is born. And even then, he is mentioned as if someone else is speaking about him. Is there footnotes on that? Um, Okay, so it was footnote 6b, but it says go to footnote 1 for C. For instance, the book of Jeremiah opens with an introduction. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, of the Kohanim, of Anatoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of Hashem came in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 30th year of his reign. Okay. So this so, is um, the way Ramban reads here is he's in agreement with Rashi. Yeah. They're, so, bolstering, they're bolstering the need to understand the grammar as well as the narrative. But Ramban brings out the narrative here, which is also really important. So you couple these two together, you get a proper understanding of that first verse of the Torah. Because ultimately, their real point is that God preceded everything. And also, he has no dependency on anything. Everything is dependent on him. And as the Orkayim writes in his commentary on Bar, everything 
is subservient to him. Amen. So can you reread that statement one more time? So the opening account is the very the very first part. Yeah, about the Mo, Moshe was writing about other people, and then at the end, other people were writing about him. Oh, okay. Uh, so to repeat, this is the last paragraph that I read. And because this is the case, Moshe is not mentioned in the Torah until he is born. Right. And even then, he is mentioned as if someone else is speaking about him. Now, the crazy part about this is this makes me think about how Yeshua existed prior to creation. And then he was born into creation. And then it's like from that point. The gospel know, speaks about him in the third person. Yeah. Exactly the way Ramban is writing here concerning Moshe. Yes. And Yeshua is the prophet like Moshe. That's what I was thinking about as you were reading that. I'm like, wait, what did you just say? <laughs> see this is um why this is another reason why yeshua did not contradict the torah this is why matthew 5 17 through 19 is so important it is so misunderstood i did not come to abolish this is what the dalish translates the, the hebrew word mm -hmm. but to uphold it to make it stand up. We make the Torah fall down when we don't ignore the least of these commandments, as our master says, he who breaks the least of these commandments and teaches others so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. That's Mita connected Mita, measure for measure. <laughs> okay. So that word that's used, that Greek word is used in the same context as I will destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days. So when Yeshua says, I did not come to abolish, you know, he's saying the same context of destroying the temple. I did not come to abolish. I did, come, I did not come to destroy. Remember what uh, Yochanan says about that? Yeah. For he spake of himself, not the Beit HaMikdash. So in other That's words, so he didn't come to abolish himself. How could he? Okay. We know that the name of Mashiach is one of the seven things that existed before the creation. How could he destroy that? Hmm. How could that possibly be abolished since the Torah is the very first thing mentioned in that list of seven things in the Midrash? As the sages say, um, you know, Genesis Rabbah. Which is funny because, you know, he says, I did not come to destroy or abolish the Torah, but I came to testify to the truth. 
which we know is the Torah. Which is, uh, this is Yochanan 1837. So Yeshua is speaking, he says, the reason I was born and came into the world was to testify to the truth. So you can put Matthew 5, 17, right there next to John 18, 37. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, in the Dalish, it reads, Al Tedamu Ki Ki Boti Lehafer et Hatorah. Now, Al is spelled Aleph Lemed and has Kamats under the Aleph, which mm -hmm. means do not imagine. This is how. This is how it's translated into the English. Do not imagine. Wow. This is very important. We're not supposed to think that this Torah is done away with. Had Israel not accepted it, and I'm quoting the, the Humash commentary, the anthologized mm -hmm. commentary in the Stone Humash, Mm -hmm. And Israel said, no, the universe would have come to an end. The letters are the foundation of creation. This is what the Kabbalists say. That the letters were like viscous uh, stones that he formed. You know, Yetzar. You know, the 32 paths of wisdom, the 22 letters of the Alphabet, the 10 Sephiro, the divine intellect, also the fact that he is king, that every time you see the word Elohim in Genesis 1, it is the king that is decreeing creation into existence. Really? Yes. This Which is, is the mountain poop, right? Yes. This is the play of the serpent on Eve, by the way. Um, yeah, et ha Torah, o et divrei ha neveim lo boti lehafer ki im la malaat. You know, do not imagine that I have come to violate the Torah or the words of the prophets. I have not come to violate, but to fulfill. That's another misused word. Fulfill. Yeah. Which is, uh, the Hebrew of that word is male. Like, uh, his glory fills the earth. Which, by the way, since you're on that point, um, I thought about the fact that at the end of the rumination, they go into talking about the, the Haftarah cycles that are 
related to the Torah portion. So it's like the Haftarah is like a Torah portion concealed. And Yeshua says that I did not come to abolish the Torah or the prophets, which is the Haftarah cycle. So yeah. just thinking about that dynamic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because they're connected thematically. Yeah, and I think about this, like the seven consolations that we just read. Oh, yeah. You know, imagine Yeshua getting rid of that. <laughs> You're just like, oh, so no consolation, no, no rebuilding, no? Okay. Does he say anywhere in the Gospels that Israel is no more? Wow. Because that's what it would mean if he abolishes the Torah. That's the thing. Remember Rashi's statement that Israel is the first of his crop. And then Mashiach's lament in Matthew 23 when he says, Oh, how I would have gathered you under my wings as a hen gathers her chickens, but you would not. And behold, your house is left to you desolate. And you will not see me again unless you learn to cry. Hey, this is that day, man. We need to be doing that. Uh, yeah, we keep saying, you know, Bo Mashiach. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. that's how it can be, Bo Mashiach. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's. You know, in, when I was in the church, you know, you always hear that talk about, you know, the rapture and stuff like that. How it's like their golden parachute. Yeah. Um, I never really bought into it hook, line, and sinker because I just knew there was something amiss about it, you know? Yeah. You know, what about our responsibility? You know, what were we supposed to do? Our job is not to make converts for your local ministry or your congregation or whatever. I, we, you think about uh, one who is uh, forgiven much. They love much. Yeah. So if we're not doing anything, we're saying that we haven't been forgiven. And we're also saying we don't have any love. Or you're burying your talent in the sand and you know how uh, oh, hard man. your master is. Here's your remember, talent. Remember who, who buried someone in the sand? <laughs> oh, Moshe. Oh, that's good. <laughs> and you know he invoked the 42-letter name of Hashem when he did that. Yes. Yes. Um, okay, but you're on a roll, though. I just, yeah, that just made me think about all that as you were reading. Yeah, and I'm just reading more from the Dalish, you know, where he says, A key, Amen, Omer, Ani Lakem, Ad, Ki, Ya'aru, Hashemayim, Vehaaretz, Lo, Tehavor, Yod, Yod Ekat O 
Kotz, Echad, Min, Torah, Ad Asher, Yaku Yam, Hakol. For Amen, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away. What's he doing there? You see the phrasing here. Ki yaru hashamayim ve'ha'aretz. Where was this reading in the first verse of the Torah? Hashamayim ve'ha'aretz. Aretz. This is the Kabbalah here. Hmm. You know, till, until heaven and earth pass away, not one yod, uh, ta'avor, yod. Uh, and the gematria for that is yod 10, 16, 20. Yeah, Yoda cut. Not one word will pass. <laughs> not one Yoda or one thorn will pass away from the Torah until all has been established. Therefore, the man who violates one of these small mitzvot and teaches sons of men to do like him will be called small in the kingdom of heaven. Katon. That's the Hebrew word for small that he's using there. Hmm. Like a seal? Like Pituche Hotam? Yeah, in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does and teaches them will be called great. Or are you saying Katan? Actually, it's uh, Katon. Uh, Kuf, Tet, Vav, Nun, Sophie. Oh, okay, Katan. Okay. Yeah, that there's, is. There's a whole yeah. M on the Vav, though. It's Vav, whole M. Katon. Okay, yeah, that's a very different word from Chotam. Yeah. Yeah, Be Malakut, Hashemayim, Be Asher, Yaase, Ve Yelamed, you know, whoever teaches. Oten, Laze, Gadol, Yikre, Malkut, Hashemayim shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Seeing if I could track down that word. I remember that being one of the um, uh, out of practice when I should be practicing my uh, uh, can't cantillation. <laughs> That's a cantillation mark. Yeah, it says katon. 
is related to katan, which katan is the verb. So to be made small versus being titled small, that's a very interesting thing. Yeah, see, Sakif Katon. That can't mark. I thought I recognized it. Except this is defective spelling on the, uh, for this can't mark. Because hmm. have you heard it? Uh, Sakif Katon. Because what precedes it is Pashta Munak Sakhev Katon. And where is this from? Um, this is at, I've just recited uh, canting this from uh, the, the Ramban. Because all the commentaries have the cant marks as well. Wow. <laughs> Not only do we have vowel points, but we have the yeah. cantillation marks in yeah. the commentary. Yes, because you have the cant marks in the in the text and the commentary as well. So, so yeah, so that word is about being inferior and subordinate. Hmm. Yeah, you also have uh, katan, which is small, like talit katan. Right. So it's as if you're not being clothed with sufficient clothing. Yes. And if you're teaching others in like manner, then they too will not be covered. This is this is leading people off the path, off the Derek, the path of faith. Remember, remember when Adam and Hava sewed together fig leaves? Yeah. It's basically what you're describing. Yeah. That's not proper clothing. No. You're trying to cover up your own misdeeds your way. But what did Hashem provide Adam and Hava? Animal skins. An animal had to die, the shedding of blood. Without it, there is no atonement, atonement. and forgiveness. This is why Cain failed to bring that heaven. So now you're getting distance from atonement? Oh, man. You know, we could take this narrative to Cain and Hevel, you know, Cain and Hevel. You know, what does Hevel say to Cain? If you do well, won't you be accepted? Exactly. And Cain just, you know, just start throwing a fit and all this kind of <laughs> nonsense. You know, what what you know, what do we see people do usually when they're confronted with this? <clears throat> I don't, I don't, we don't have to do that anymore, you know. Right. And you you're know? just like, dude, it's 
it's like it's not asking you to bring your firstborn. It's just asking <laughs> you to walk kindly and just with your God. Like you can't do that. Let us hear the sum of the matter. What is the Megillah that we study right now? It's Kohelet twelve thirteen. It's quote. You know that. <laughs> oh my! I, I it's still un believable how Yeshua right out of the gate is like listen everybody just so you know yeah and then it's like no one heard him is it any wonder he says he who has ears let him hear it's a great point that is a great point sometimes we don't always have ears to hear um, thanks for bringing the daily child man no I yeah I mean I'm getting way better at reading it too I mean you know because all yeah. the learning is paying off you know and you're killing it on the grammar yeah <laughs> <laughs> I mean because uh Lamed is a verb. It means to learn. And that is a uh, active voice verb. Meaning we're always conscious. You have to be, it's like the word Sakor at Yom HaShabbat, Beikad Show, Exodus 20, verse 8. Mm-hmm. Rashi, where Rashi says, We ha- always have to be conscious to keep Shabbat holy. Hmm. Takes work, that's for sure. And what is Shabbat? Is the booking of creation. That's what we testify, Hashem is the creator. Yes. Every time you do Kaddush, every time you raise that silver cup with the wine, you are testifying to the fact that Hashem, King of the universe, decreed creation into existence. The King speaks. And it is so. He decrees, and it is so. This Love is this. why. This is why we always roll back the scroll. This is why we always start over. Because why? We need to be reminded that He is King, and that we are His servants to do His will. Always. Um. Yeah, we get tired of being reminded, you know, we get weary, but whether Shaul say, don't be weary. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Because soon we will reap. Because <laughs> we look at the state of the world right now and what man has done with creation and how depraved it is and how he's tr- he works so hard to distance himself from the Holy One, blessed be he, trying to suppress the knowledge of him who is blessed forever. Um, that we don't want God. They're just creating this reality that is false, you know? And thus, you know, this book... <laughs> That's the dimensionality virus, this false reality that you and I 
are in. That's not the one that it's supposed to be. So crazy. They made a TV show about this earlier this year from Marvel, where one of the heroes was going through such trauma in her life. She created a false reality and they had to break in and get her out of it. <laughs> uh, but our our imagination and our minds are so powerful that we create these things. One of them was the golden calf. Came okay. from our imagination. Which should just point out to us that collectively what our consciousness is capable of. This is why I love how you always talk about Mashiach is not a singularity because it's really going to have to be a complete communal conscious effort to bring the Mashiach. Um, what's going to do? Ah, yeah. You found Adam, it? Uh, <laughs> Adam is his name and consciousness is his game. The dimensionality virus is to blame and the science of Kabbalah is our aim. Wow. What's he, what's he talking about here? He's talking about before Adam was separated from the totality of the Shem. Yeah. I'll give an excerpt here. Um, in order to answer these four questions and to understand what Adamic Kabbalah is and what it isn't, we must first establish what the term Kabbalah means. The word Kabbalah is literally that which has been received, i.e. a living transmission passed down from master to disciple. The word Kabbalah, however, until it is contextualized, doesn't mean anything, any more than the word science. It refers to a specific discipline or theory especially over the last half century and until this day. There are countless contemporary non-traditional varieties of Kabbalah that can be found all over the internet and in many hundreds of books. This is in addition to the field of the academic study of Kabbalah around the world. Within the traditional Torah communities, there are more schools and approaches to Kabbalah than most scholars are even aware of. Consequently, one must be attentive to understanding the differences because one person's science can be another person's pseudoscience or worse. Likewise, one person's Kabbalah can be another person's current pop Kabbalah. You see a lot of that. Or occult Kabbalah, academic Kabbalah, or even one of several traditional schools of contemporary Orthodox Kabbalah. If we are going to use the term Kabbalah, then we need to know what it is and what it isn't. Um, just a little more. Uh, the Torah consists of both the written Torah, the 24 books, books of the Tanakh, including the five books of Moshe, and the oral Torah, Talmud, Midrash, Halakha, legal codes, Sohar, and the Kabbalah traditions. The oral Torah relative to the written Torah is as soul to the body. The two are so inseparable from each other that they are, in fact, the twin Torahs. 
born together from the same divine mother at the same moment of birth. In turn, as the soul is to the body, the soul of the Kabbalah is to the collective body of both the written Torah and the oral Torah. The body of Judaism, its religion, beliefs, and practices are interdependent and inseparable from its corresponding animating soul, the Kabbalah. The twin Torahs are also similar to the two modes of consciousness within our own brain. Separating one half of our brain from the other, one half creates a psycho-spiritual split personality. This can be compared to the epilepsy patients who beginning a half century ago in order to limit their seizures to only one side of the brain had their corpus callosum surgically severed between their right and left hemispheres. Unexpectedly, they discovered that they literally now had two brains, two separate minds that were working independently of each other and oblivious to each other. Such a split consciousness is akin to severing the Jewish mysticism from the other half of the Torah at its own twin mode of consciousness. So they cannot be separated. It, it's, you have, it's schizophrenia. Yeah, I was thinking about the fact that, you know, what would happen if you took the human brain and chopped it in half, you know, like the person couldn't function. Which is interesting that people try to think that the the Torah, you know, it can't function. Well, it's like you're right because you separated out the other half. <laughs> yeah, he goes on. Uh, Torah-based academic Kabbalah is not Jewish mysticism. It contains what is referred to as mysticism, Jewish or not, but it is much more. The study and spiritual practice of the Kabbalah, as explained, was never intended to be separate from the rest of the Torah, any more than the soul is intended to be without its corresponding body. This rule applies to scripture as well as to the entire fabric of the vast living internet of the Talmudic sage Kabbalists, first century to the fifth century CE, and their disciples over the last 1500 years. All the personalities, episodes, and the descriptive matters of the biblical stories have behind the narrative scenes, their corresponding Kabbalah codes, the soul of the matter. Likewise, all halakha, Jewish law, and the practice of mitzvot, commandments, i.e. specific actions, speech, and thoughts, as well as all Talmudic legal discussions, criminal, civil, and ritual, and especially Talmudic agada, have their corresponding Kabbalah codes. Kabbalah was never intended to be separate from the in-depth learning of Torah and the consciousness performance of mitzvot, conscious performance of mitzvot. Nor was Kabbalah intended to be separate from these four principles, Adam, consciousness, the messianic era, and the dimensionality virus. That's insane. Great book. That, you know what? This answers a lot of questions I've had in my heart over, that I've kept in my heart the last few decades that I've pondered. Over, I mean, just, I'm only just now sharing it. And this book's turned out to be the vehicle to express that. Wow. Well, you've just modeled a beautiful thing for us because sometimes, you know, 
you get into Torah and you have questions, well, what if your answer doesn't come, you know, like right now? Because we talked about this before, yep. being willing to, to wait for the answer, you know, and because you waited, look at the amount of insight that's packed into that. It's like not only are you going to get your question answered, but you're going to get extra. Like the way Yosef was like, yeah, give Benjamin extra <laughs> when he was sending his brothers back. Yeah, anyway. load up the bear. <laughs> and that's before the silver goblet. So it's like, oh, yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. He's going there. <laughs> oh. it's broke my face. Oh. Um, let's see. Got apples from the orchard. Um, uh, they wanted to start from the very beginning from apples from the orchard. <laughs> well, it looks like it is that time. Oh, uh, yeah. I just love the way it starts. Creation, hidden, and revealed. Be'erashib Barah Elohim et Hashamayim va'et Ha'aretz. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the first verse of the Torah. It begins with the letter Beit, the second letter of the alphabet, rather than with the letter Aleph, the first letter of the alphabet, which would seem more appropriate the mystical significance of this is as follows. The Torah does not here speak about the world of Atsilut, but rather about the world of Berea. The Torah in general is therefore called the Torah of Berea. Therefore, the Torah begins with the letter Beit. For the Aleph, which is the first letter of the alphabet, alludes to Atsilut which is the first world and which begins with the letter Aleph, while the letter Beit, which is the second letter, alludes to Berea, which is both the second world and begins with the letter Beit. The verb in this verse to create bara refers to the second of the four worlds, Atzilut, emanation, Berea, creation, Yetzirah, formation, and Asiya, action, this fact puts us squarely in the world of Berea. In the words of our sages, all is according to the beginning. This is also alluded to by the first letter of the Torah. This letter, Beit, refers to the world of Berea, both because it is, its numerical value and two, is, its numerical value is two, and because it is the initial of the word Berea. I would also add that it is also the first letter of the word uh, Baruch or Barak, blessed. Get you some, because that's, uh, that's the Medrash on 
the other reason why the letter bet was chosen because it's the first letter for the word Baruch. And another mystical point is with the Dagesh in the bait, it refer it points to Ain Sof because everything emanates, just as it, the Arizal explains here. And creation is contained within the bait as a separate. It is this it is the place that is with him. You have the entire universe in the Dagesh in the bait. So this one time when Moshe was standing in the cleft of the rock, so all of Hashem's goodness could pass before him. I mean, to expound on that, I could grab the Orkayim and go right to Bamibar. Because you were talking about that earlier. Yeah. So. Um, but to finish off this paragraph here um, from the rumination. Um, Wait, that's it from the, the orchard? That, oh, there's more. Oh, but was that, oh. The, was that that one point? or? Um, yeah, on the letter bait. Why okay. it's the first letter of the Torah okay. and not Aleph because it refers to the world of Berea while Aleph refers to Atsilu, the highest Perfect. of the four worlds. So basically to summarize, we have the fact that the giving of the Torah pulled everything up to Atsilu, Bezrat Hashem, because that's the Aleph, the Anoki. Oh no, it froze. <laughs> I'll stand by everyone. Bezrat Connection will catch up. Maybe. Well, Brukashim. We'll just hang out until it restarts. So just to say la on that, that there was a step down for creation. And then when the Torah was given, it really elevated everything. There he is. Welcome back. You're muted. I wish I wouldn't do that either. <laughs> but yeah, I was just saying the, the say yeah, law on the fact that creation came from the second world, but then when the Torah was given, it was given through the Aleph, the Anoki. So, Atilut. Yeah, if you rearrange the letters of that word, it spells Ain. Beautiful. All right. Minus the minus the cough. Yeah. So does a follower of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob need to take the Genesis account literally? Can it simply be a matter of semantics? 
Beloved is not that simple as I've <laughs> illustrated in what I've read so far. We know that's no. Most Side note, uh, Kabbalah passed from teacher to student. <laughs> Yeshua and his Talmudim, the Talmudim and the different congregations they taught. That, that's intense. Yeah, let us not forget the first century text of the here. Right. And the Arizal, Rabbi Chaim Bitao. Oh, yeah. The Rionic Kabbalah. Um, which is the system of organization of Kabbalah of the Arizal. Mm -hmm. um, so you see the scriptures record the beginning for us for a reason. Mm. And maybe the evolutionist understands way better than anyone. <laughs> that was an ir irony. <laughs> we are given the account of creation so that we may know by whom we came to be and how our rebellion against him began. And that's This was my favorite point of this rumination, by the way. What you're about. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. And that, I also love this next point, and that is why evolution will never adequately explain the origins of life. In the neat little package of evolution, there is no mention of the origins of sin, sickness, suffering, and dying are simply necessary pieces of the picture of life. What a sick perspective. Suffering and dying are not a part of life. They were never, ever supposed to be. That's not why we were created. What did, what did Yeshua say? I'm come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. That's right. Because the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Right. Which... Matthew 5, 17, I didn't come to destroy, but somebody did. Yochanan 10, I am the good shepherd. All that have come before me are thieves and robbers. The Hebrew word for thief is ganaf. Okay. So the gematria for that word, uh, gimel, noon, fei, is 133. Enough? Um, okay, uh, gimel is three, noon is 50, fei is 80. Let's see. Yeah. Ganav is with a bet. Oh, with a bet? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. I thought it was the... Okay. Oh, my goodness. The word 
Gan is a part of Ganav. Oh. <clears throat> so, and like, what do we do with the Atrog? We bring it into the Sukkah, which is an allusion to the garden. Wow, because we stole the fruit. Yeah. Uh, so you're yep. Gematria. Okay, <clears throat> you're looking at his 55. Yeah, okay. I stand corrected. Unless you want to go with the uh, Oddbosh or something. Which, um, on the, on the fate? Outbosh on the vape. Mm -hmm. Which. Okay, so base the second letter, so we want the second to the last letter of the olive bit. So that would be. Um, Shin. Shin. So Gimel, Noon, Shin. Which would be Ganash. 353. Yeah. Add five to that would be 358, Mashiach. So the thief, Atbash. And Nakash. Nice. Because, you know, you have this idea of the Mashiach, quote unquote, stealing back. Yeah. Like the way we're stealing back the etrog and putting it back in the garden. Yeah. Um, Even though that wouldn't technically be stealing, but the enemy definitely would see it as stealing. <laughs> well, we could look at it as we are returning what the enemy stole or what the enemy, what the Nakash influenced Hava to do. Right, because the other thing that was stolen, in my opinion, was that we decide what's right and wrong. When really? Hashem, when when Hashem has already said that everything is good, because what does the Torah say regarding after the six days of creation? And he looked back and he saw that it, it was good. Tove Mayo. <laughs> he thought it was very good. good. Yes. And we were like, no, it's not. <laughs> and so the ah. Nakash comes along and says, Did God really say that? And he uses Elohim. He does, yeah. Undoing creation is what's happening there. Yeah. And this is this is the poison that the evolutionists are falling for. You know, it's there's nothing new under the sun. What has been will be again. You've been studying Kohelet again, huh? You know, we're still in Sukkot, man. <laughs> I mean, you I have been finish high on Kohelet too. <laughs> what? That's insane. Um, Gonna read a little bit more. This requires a little more. 
see. Okay. It is also known that I'm reading from uh, apples from the orchard again. It's also right. known that Ema nest in the world in the world of the chariot. Say Merkava. This is another reason why the Torah begins with the letter Beit, for Beit is the first letter of Binah. It is stated in the Zohar that Abba nest in the world of Atzilu, Ima in the world of the chariot Zer. Ser Anpin to Yetzirah in Yetzirah, and Nukva to Ser Anpin and Asiya. Berea is called here the world of the chariot because the divine chariot that figures in the vision of Ezekiel is identified with the world, with this world. The parts of theme referred to here are the parts of theme of Atzilut, meaning that Abba of Atzilut nests and Atzilut, while Ima of Atzilut descends and rests in the Berea, and so forth. All this simply means that although each world possesses its own array of ten sephirot in the form of their respective parts of theme, which means persona to translate, each world is nonetheless pervaded by an overall consciousness, here we go, <laughs> that is an expression of one of the parts of theme of Atsilu. Abba is the part suf of Hokma, which is the consciousness of Bitul, self-nullification. A person experiencing a flash of insight is not aware of himself, but is rather absorbed totally in the experience of the revelation. Like a candle that is subsumed in the midday sun. You know, remember Rumination 51. What's it all about? We, during Sukkot, we delve into Koholet, trying to answered the question, the age-old question that has been with us for millennia. What's it all about? But within the question, and it will never be answered to our satisfaction in this world, it never will be. But in the seeking, in the delving, in the studying the Torah, we begin to find out who he is. Because he dwells in unapproachable light. And unapproachable darkness, you know, again, pointing back to Yom Kippur, when the Kohen Gadol comes out and the Ohel Moed is filled with the black smoke, smoke of the Kedaret, which is how Hashem descended on Sinai. Yeah. In a thick black cloud, thunder, lightning, the fire. And the, and the people were afraid. Hmm. You know, they even told Moshe, you, you go speak to Hashem, lest to die, you know, because they saw the Or Karen. Right. <laughs> On Moshe, I'm like, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, this is so, this is really powerful when you really take it in. Uh, this overall is the general consciousness of the world of Atsilu, the revelation of God in this world. 
so great that it leaves absolutely no room for self-awareness. Okay, so this is the secret of my life is hidden in the Mashiach. Like, that's what that whole concept he, is about. The, the Kabbalah of the Master's statement, he who does not take up his cross and follow after me cannot be my Talmud. Any right. man putting his hand to the plow and looking back is not worthy of the kingdom. And you know really what that is saying? That's Yitzhak carrying the wood. He's basically saying yep, we yep. have to be like Yitzhak carrying the wood. He denied himself totally, which is why the sages say that his emunah was superior to that of Abraham. Greater things than these you'll do? Seriously? Yep. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, um, see, Ima is the part Sufa Bina, which is a consciousness of self-awareness. A person involved in understanding the implications, applications, and ramifications of an insight he has received is very aware of himself and the way he perceives the world. It is precisely this self-awareness that he uses to evaluate the effect of his insight. The self-awareness is what distinguishes the world of Berea from the world of Atsilu. In Berea, for the first time, there is such a thing as self-awareness or self-consciousness. The beings that exist in this world are aware of themselves as entities distinct from God. The same paradigm applies to Zeranpin with regard to Yetzirah and Nukba to Zeranpin with regard to Asiya, the world of action. This is why the world was created in Tishrei. See, that's the permutation of the word Be'erishit. Which is an expression of the idea contained in the verse, he left, his left hand is under my head. For Abba is always associated with the right side and Ima the left. The letters of the word for in the beginning may thus be rearranged to spell on the first of Tishrei. Which, by the way, that's the olive that the Torah did not begin with. Mm -hmm. So Aleph Tishrei is directly correlated to the Aleph of the Anoki to bring us into Atibu. Yeah. But notice what he says here, that when you receive a flash of insight, a person experiencing a flash of insight is not aware of himself. You can know of a surety that is from Hashem. That he's bringing you that piece of chokmah. And that just for that split, mo that, that moment in time, you're stepping outside of time. Into the world of Atsilu and because that's where prophecy emanates from. Mm -hmm. This is why Moshe is the greatest of the prophets. 
when we conclude the Torah reading in Bezot HaBaraka, because it states there was no prophet that arose in Israel like Moshe. Right. Which is connected to the uh, the teaching about Balaam, is that he, he was the only one that could have been greater, actually, than Moshe, but he was not a part of Israel. And he also gave into his Getahara. Yep. We could almost spell the word Asiya from Beirishit with the letters Aleph, Sheen, and Yod, perhaps. But I know it's not spelled that way. So what letters are you left with with that? Um, yeah, I'm looking for Zilo Devra Torah. Uh, yeah, Be Atzilu. Yeah, it is Atzilu is spelled with an Aleph. But it's spelled uh, not going with the root of the word. Mm -hmm. uh, Aleph, Sadi, Yod, Lamed, Vav, Tav. So, yeah. You have the Aleph and the Tav. Okay. which would be 401. So, so here's, okay, I'm doing a little, uh, uh, Zadi has a gematria of 90. If you divide that by two, that's 45. That's the gematria for Adam. Goodness. <laughs> well, I was just looking at cutting in two because the bet, the tav, and the resh is the word betar. And that's used in Genesis 15 for what was done with the pieces. Uh, the covenant of the parts. Bain habetarim. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Here we go. So you're pulling out that from Bay Rishi, which is Bait Tav Resh, mm -hmm. which has a gematria of 502. If you divide that by 10, you should have a gematria of 52, which is Ben. And then you're looking at the Olive Sheen Yod, which is Ish, the man who's divided Adam. which is the Saudi that you're looking at. Yeah. Which is Zadik. That's the teaching of the letters Saudi is that it's called Zadik. And if you take the Yod and the Zadi and the Resh from Bey Rishi, you have Yitzar formed. Mm-hmm.
and he formed man of the dust of the ground in his image. So now you're looking at the world of yet zero. Yeah. Which corresponds to zero and pain. Yep. Uh, the part suf of Netzach uh, is it Teferit to, to or Yisod? I'm, look, <clears throat> I'm looking at Yisod, the uh, the third triad. Okay. Oh yeah, because he's a yeah. Because uh, Yisod is where the reproductive organs are. Yeah, Zeranpin is actually six of the Sefiro. Zerapin consists of the two of the two lower um, triads, beginning with Hesed. Yeah. And, uh, and then down to Yesod. Yeah. The first two are the head. Tiferet is the chest. Um, the legs are hoed and nuts up. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think what's okay um, because Da'at is not is an inferred Sephira, it could right. be considered the head or the brains of, of Zer. The brains, yeah. The head. And then once you come down to Hased and Gabura, the arms, Tiferet, the torso, Yesod. The foundation yeah. or the sexual organs, and then hold and nets off the legs, and then Malkut the feet. This is why understanding the Mashiach not being a singularity is yeah. huge because correla correlating Zerah and Pin to the Mashiach, how you have Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, and then you have Moshe, Aharon, then you have Yosef, who's Yesod. And then David, who is Malku. Yeah. There's your totality. Yep. Um, see, yeah, I like this. Yeah. You know, this is, um, yeah, in the beginning, continuing reading, on the first of Tishrei. You can derive two words, uh, Rosh Tishrei, from that, from the word Bereshit. Although the world was created on the 25th of Elul, the crown of creation, man, was created on the sixth day, the first of Tishrei. The whole six-day creative process may thus be viewed as a preparation for what was to happen on the first of Tishrei, and therefore the world may be spoken of as having been truly or fully created on Tishrei. I think this is another mystical uh, dimension of Rosh Hashanah, why it's Yom Hadin, because of the Nakash. Why? Because we need to make rectification on that day for the Nakash and Adam and Hava having given themselves over to it. Well, actually, this is the uh, reason why Yom Kippur is also called Yom Hadin. Yeah. And why there's the 10, the 10 days, because you got to rectify the 10 separate. Yeah. Also, and this is why Yom Kippur, we don't eat. Yeah. 
Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was about to point out about the uh, uh, Yom Asher Teshuva. Mm-hmm. That it's also rectification for the 10 utterances. Yes, the 10 days of repentance. <sighs> you and that Trevile Pinkus, man. <laughs> That's some really great reading, man. I love it. I mean, it's just, you know. Yeah, I had to share the Kohelet uh, oh, you commentary last week. Oh, my gosh. Just off the charts, man. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Tishrei is the beginning of the cold half of the year in contrast to Nisan, which is the beginning of the warm half of the year. The holidays of Tishrei emphasize human effort to crown God king. Rosh Hashanah, to achieve atonement for man's sins, Yom Kippur, to rejoice in God's protection, to achieve joy in his service and unity in his people, Sukkot and to elicit divine revelation through the study of the Torah, Shemini Atzeret, Simchat Torah. <laughs> the eighth day crowning. We crown the king. This is why Sukkot is the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation. All, if you take Revelation and you overlay what I'm reading from the Ari here, It'll just come together just like that. Beautiful. In contrast, the holiday of Nisan, Pesach, emphasizes God's initiative and in taking us out of bondage. Thus, the cold half of the year, which we have to warm up on our own, is characterized by human effort ascending heavenward while the warm half of the year is characterized by God taking over and are simply being open and receptive to his leadership, the, the clouds of glory, the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. This is why you don't, this is why you should, it's halakha to be able to see through your sukkah because you want to see the clouds of glory, the shekinah and the pillar of fire by night. If your sukkah is completely enclosed, it's invalid. Your sukkah is totally invalid. I thought this was interesting because the judgment that the soul undergoes in the next world, in the world of soul, that there's a 12-year judgment period or 12-month 12, 12 judgment period. Half is uh, through ice and the other half is through fire or heat and cold, which basically is saying there's a cycle of the calendar, cycle of the seasons, for you to go through the, the Yom Tovim, which actually, depending on how much of a blemish your soul has, will you have to go through the whole year or not? Then you have the fact that the Kaddish requests of praying for someone for 11 months of those 12 months, and then you think about what's going on with everything with the uh the moedim and yeah. so it's as if your soul is getting a chance to go through the cycle of the the festivals to rectify and make all the points of teshuva that each festival actually does like each festival 
as another aspect of teshuva. Amen. So that's, man, wow. I never thought about that before. I just, while you were mentioning all that, I just thought of Shimon Bar Yokai. How much time did he spend in the cave? Wow. 12 years. Nice. Nice. And Shaul in the desert. That's funny because I said 12 years instead of 12 yeah, months. Yeah, I said, oh man, Shamar Bar, Shimon Bar Yokai. <laughs> he comes out with the Zohar, man. I mean, that's just illumination, you know? Yeah. Nice. Uh, see here. Okay, this dynamic in our relationship with God is alluded to in the verse, his left hand is under my head and his right hand will embrace me. That, that, that's, that's the sukkah. That's it. Because both arms and hands like this. Remember Torah Wellsprings? Yeah. Because it, what is the sukkah shape like? The letter bait. Mm-hmm. And, and we're what, the dot uh, in the middle. Yeah, and what do we put in the, in the sukkah? A table. Mm-hmm. And we invite the Ushpizim in. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, the left hand signifies Gevura, the divine attribute of judgment and justice, while the right hand signifies said, the divine attribute of loving kindness. Tishrei, and the half of the year it ushers in is thus clearly an expression of God's left hand. God, God as judge on Rosh Hashanah, etc., while this sun and its its half of the year are an expression of God's right hand. I said, "Wow." <clears throat> ah. <clears throat> This is also why in the entire account of creation, the name Elohim is mentioned, uh, care to guess, how many times? Um, I mentioned it earlier. I forgot already. <laughs> it's mentioned 32 times. For the Elohim? The Elohim. For the, the 32 paths. Paths of Abba are 32 names of Havaya, while in Ima they are 32 names of Elohim because it's on the side of Gavura. It is stated in Sefer Yetzirah that there are 32 pathways of Hokmah. Sefer Yetzirah, chapter 1 1. The simplest understanding of these pathways is that they are the 10 Sephiro plus the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, i.e. ideas and their means of expression. The two principal names of God, Havaya and Elohim, are associated with Hokmah and Binah, respectively. This is because the name Elohim, whose numerical value is 86, is the same of that for the word nature. Ateva. Hey, tet, bet, ayin. 
And note that word ends with the letter Ayim, which has a gematria of 70, and is also the word for I. And what do we see God doing at the end of creation? Tov Mayod. And he saw that everything was very good. Signifies that God, as he is manifest in nature, while the name Havaya being a combination of the words for was, is, and will be, signifies God as he transcends nature, i.e. the limitations of time and space. Similar to what we said above, the experience of Hokmah is transcendent in nature, in which the individual is temporarily abstracted from the context of his own self-awareness, while the experience of Binah is much more natural, in which the individual is firmly positioned in the context of the limits of his own intellect. Thus, when the revelation of Abba enters Ima, it is no longer represented by the name Habaya, but by the name Elohim. That is that part of the divine intellect moving from Hokmah to Bina becomes Kubura. Thus, we're still in the month of Tishrei, so his left hand is over my head. Right. Kabura. Because we're heading into the cold months. We have to do things ourselves. But not without him. So kind of the way he Hashem left creation open for us to rectify. Because what did he tell Adam? You know, tend the garden. Take care of it. Yeah requiring effort on his part so this is the whole reason why we can't just cop out and say we have the mashiach and we don't have anything to do he did it he did all of it pray that your father sends forth laborers into the field wow and then i'll show you my emuna by my works okay yeah, Yaakov 121. Faith without works is dead. It doesn't exist. Wow. Because you'd be just left in Gavura. Uh -huh. You'd be left in the cold. But then your self-awareness takes over, your self-identity, your own mm -hmm. uh, ambition. You're creating your own identity, your own way of doing things we all fall into this trap it's it's real easy to do you know yeah because so, the world pressures you into thinking oh just be out for number one you know mm -hmm. look out for yourself because no one else is going to look out for you when it's like the evolutionists they want you to forget about hashem yeah they want to forget that that they're sinful depraved they don't want to we say they, it's like they're saying we don't want to be dependent on God for our sustenance yeah what, what does Shaul say about such people in 2 Timothy 3 
They'll be lovers of themselves, covetous, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Right. So, so have nothing to do with them. Which is the generation before Mashiach talk from the time. Yeah. yeah. So this connects to the love of many will grow cold. And then the heart is wicked and uh, desperately wicked and deceitful because 32 is heart. So the self-awareness, the corrupt, the corruption of the heart. And then if you're not putting in the human effort, you're going to be left out in the cold because you're just leaving judgment during the cold months kind of thing like we just talked about. Okay. Yeah, this is really powerful, man. <laughs> and this is a perfect illustration of why understanding the creation account is, I mean, it's deeper than we think. It's allegorical for sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah, suffering and dying are not a part of life. They are the antithesis of life. That's also one of my another favorite point from this one. For mm -hmm. me. Our God revealed himself to us in the Genesis account so that we might know that there is more, far more. This is another excellent point. Evolution demands millions of years of death. Well, I mean, that's what... Uh... That's what Rome has done. Yeah. You know, you think about from their inception all the way through the Crusades, all about death. Even till today, you know, everything's about the death, the, the cross, you know. Romans 8, you know, the, the one who's fixated on death, you know, they're hostile to the Torah. Yeah, when you say that the Torah is done away with, may we never think it. God forbid, you know, that's what Shaul says in Romans, you know. Um, to such a one, he's defaulting to the side of Ema, of, you know, the brew of Ema, Elohim. Wow. You know, this is... You know, this just speaks again to how why there's so many denominations and there'll continue to be more denominations all the time because they're just loath to obey Hashem. They're loath to walk in his way. Yeah, it's you know, like the dissension, the dividing up. You know. Worse yet is their treatment of the Jewish people over the last 1900 years. You know, um, I have that book, uh, The List from Root Source, it contains everything of the last 2000 years. Um, I will say, I'm into the fourth century, it is not light reading. A lot of what I read in there just really. I almost want to run to the bathroom because it's so vile, you know. 
I mean, I, I'm not kidding when I say that, you know, I reached a point where I actually had to put it down and just think about it, you know. You, if you were to confront the average believer with this in the, in the church, they would just run. I can't believe that. No way. We're doing such good things, you know. All these theologians did such good things, you know. I, I confronted, I actually confronted a pastor who I was friends with on Facebook, you know, about Martin Luther. And he just wasn't having it. But he did so many good things. But this one vile piece of anti-Semitic rant erases all that. It tips the scales to Gabura. It resulted in the death of 6 million Jews 500 years later when Adolf Hitler used it as the blueprint for the Holocaust. How can you overcome such a thing? How can you justify such uh, rhetorical hate, you know? And, you know, with, when it comes to murder and Judaism, the only way you can reconcile murder is between the two parties. So the murderer would have to go to the person that they killed in order to rectify that sin. So there's yeah. no way to recover from that. You know, you can do Teshuvah for sure, but there's still that aspect of between man and man that now is not, not available. The other half of the mitzvot of the Aseret HaDeverim. The first five are vertical, the second five are horizontal. Exactly. Which those are never taken into account. And yes. I have to say, I confess for sure, because I never thought about this as well. It wasn't until coming into Judaism and learning the dynamics of repentance and uh, how, how uh, the judgment has to be mitigated that, you know, you don't just get to, you know, get to be off the hook for everything. Yeah. You know, we're held accountable for our sins and it is not the way the church teaches it. <laughs> no, I mean, so. they steer away from it, but I believe the time, I think it's already happening. There's a big shakeup going on, I think, from what I've observed, that yeah. Hashem is dealing with them, shaking them out, and bringing out a remnant of those who are serious and, yeah. see, and see the flaws, the inconsistencies, the the hate, the the anti-Semitism, which there's no excuse for any of that. But here's the other thing: is that uh, Martin Luther's treatise, "The Jews and Their Lives," is Lashon Hara, and we need to remember the words of our Master: "By your words you'll be justified, and by your words you will be condemned." Also, the words of the sages, which he is expounding on when he says that in Baba Messiah 50, 58a, he who whitewashes his friend in public has no place in the world to come. Um, the Hafez Kaim, 
I could easily read from that. You're destroyed. You're, you, you can commit murder with your words. You don't have to commit physical murder. This is one of the main things about Judaism that I have learned. Right, which Lashon Hara is equivalent to what destroyed the yes. temple. Yeah, it's considered murder with words. Oh, what a great matter the tongue kindles, or great a fire. That's what Yaakov says. Which is crazy because the fire is what destroyed the temple. The oh, temple yes. was burned. Unmitigated hate. See, not Kanin. Hmm. You know, it's. This is why we need to be, this is another reason why we need to be careful because, you know, Hashem's words don't return to him void. They accomplish all that he intends it to do. Um, but with our words, we can't take them back. Once they leave your tongue, that's it. It's a done deal. It's recorded in the book. Which is crazy because, you know, that's a mirror reflection. Like Hashem's word doesn't return, neither do ours. Yeah. Like they go out no. and it's just like, well, hope you hope you meant that for a good thing. Because if you didn't. The, oh, my goodness. You know, and I'm reminded of Cain and Cain and Hevel. You know, Hevel's murder. It's also destroying seed. How yep. many how many Torah Kakam could have been arisen from all those who were destroyed? How many? None of us can count. Yeah. With such words. You know, I church has a lot to answer for, you know. Um how much more for us, you know? Yeah, we're making known the king of the universe that he spoke everything into existence, you know, and, and us, you know, can you honestly say that he, that you are doing Hashem's will, that you're living the way he's instructed us to live? And yeah, when you have words like this that come out of your mouth, when you say that Torah is done away with, you know, you're you're speaking Lashon Hara. You're saying that he's not the king. Those are those are all things I think about. You know. Yeah, because the the king is likened to Malku. And so that's the, the commandments, the will of the king, you know. So if you say the king has no will that needs to be done, you've now destroyed his kingship. Which the Messiah told us, seek first the kingdom of Hashem, then all these things will be added to you. Yeah, it's like the church has given over to evolution in a way 
you know, when he says evolution demands millions of years of death. Um, Hashem speaks very clearly. Death began after the sin of man. Likewise, death is defeated by the death of one righteous man. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Yeshua, the Mashiach, Romans 5, 12 and 17. Notice, receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. He's not talking about forensic righteousness there. He's talking about the righteousness that comes from obedience. And it's got the word Kabbalah in there. Because remember how you were talking about the Kabbalah can't be separated out? Uh-huh. Because the word for receive is Kabbalah. Yep, receive, yep. So we have grace on the side of Abba, on the tree of life, the Sephira, and righteousness being the expression of that. So Zadik, the righteous one, is Yesod. Yep. And he's considered to be the foundation. The chief cornerstone, which the builders rejected, has now become the head of the corner. Right. To you who believe he is precious indeed. And so the other part of the king is that you have to personally choose like, he can't just go, I'm the king, so everybody just listen to me. Which, again, that's another one of the errors that's being taught about the Messiah, is that people have to go out and evangelize and say, he's the Messiah, so go make people be believers in him. When really, it's like, people have to receive him. That's not Teshuvah. Yeah. That you can't force anybody to make Teshuvah. No. Because it's, it's under duress, yeah. and it doesn't count. Exactly. You're being forced. And yeah, and the sages do say that he who's forced to do teshuva is as if he has not. Now, here's another one that shocked me. So, you know how the, the court system works with the two witnesses and things like that. Well, the person who makes a confession because they're forced to do so, the court throws it out. Yep. So you know what that means. That's coercion. People testimony. were forced to confess Yeshua. That's not recognized by the court. Not by the heavenly court anyway. <laughs> See, that's that's where evangelism falls on its face. 
it just cannot stand. Bro, that, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, that's serious, isn't it? So, really, when it comes to... In other to words, what it really comes down to is we all have to have our own personal Sinai experience. It has to be that we receive the Torah. We've all, you and I have come to that place. My wife's come to that place. Your wife, your family, everyone else in the Torah group, you know, that's the thing. It's got to be personal. As this well is as, why the as water well as split. This is why the water split everywhere when we crossed the Yom Soup. Yeah. Like everyone had the, like whether you were drinking water or next to, like wherever there was water, it split, it parted. So that everyone could be face to face with Hashem. And then when the Torah was given, same thing. It says all the nations actually went to Belem, while all the Jewish people in the mixed multitude went to Moshe. <laughs> if you think about that crazy picture. Yeah, the other thing about the Yom Suf, Israel didn't believe then. They were kvetching. And so I bring the Arizal when he says that he handed Iov over to the Satan to distract him or to stop him from prosecuting the B'nai Israel at the Yom Suf. To mitigate the... Oh. Why? Because this is Mita Kenegat Mita. Because Iov counseled Pharaoh to strip the Jewish people of their wealth. To, and I speak of the B'nai Israel, not the Arab Rav. Mm -hmm. and enslave them. Yeah. Everything was taken from my oath. And he suffered greatly. Exact same thing. Which is crazy because because of his suffering, Yisrael was able to be seen as pure and without blemish so that they could cross through because the sea was complaining to Hashem. Oh, uh, these are idolaters, oh. just like the Egyptians. <laughs> and what does Peter say? Having your conscience cleansed from dead works to serve the living God, the Yom Suf. That's what he's doing there. He's bringing the drosh on that. Man. Wow. You know, I, it's... Uh, uh, Jude saying, you know, um, building yourselves up in your most holy emunah, mm -hmm. keeping yourself unspotted from the world, hating even the garment stain. Which remember when Mashiach comes and arrives. He's going to come from Edom with oh, blood. Obadiah. <laughs> who are on these his saviors? garments? <laughs> yeah, who are these saviors? <laughs> Which is crazy because it's like our crimson stains he's taking up on himself. Yep. 
yeah, to deny the literal creation account is to deny the origins of sin and subsequent death. To deny the origins of sin and death is to deny that there is a holy God who made a way for mankind to return to him. Beloved, that is the goal of the evolutionist. Yes, the creation account does matter. Nothing exists without the one who spoke. Baruch Sheyamar. Which is a prayer recited on the weekdays and Shabbat. So the place that the Mashiach comes from in Edom, it says in uh, Isaiah 61, who is this from Edom? And it says he's coming from Bosra, which means an enclosure or a sheep fold. So Bet, Sadi, Resh, uh, or Hey. Bet, Sadi, Resh, Hey. An enclosure for a sheep, a sheepfold. So he's going to come from the place where the sheep are enclosed. So are we talking about the first hay of the four-letter name of Hokma? Yeah. From the word bazaar. Two ninety-two to cut off and to make inaccessible. To fortify. Yeah. And this is uh, first used in the Tower of Babel, where it says, um, Hashem said about the people. They, they're speaking the same language. They've begun to do this, and there's nothing they plan to do that will be impossible. Nothing is impossible for them. Yeah. Let's see. The, I'm going to finish off this part. Um, from apples from the orchards. Uh, it's stated in Sefer Yetzirah, there are 32 pathways of Okma. Uh, the simplest understanding of these pathways is that they are the 10 Sephiro plus 22 letters of the Hebrew Aleph Bet, uh, ideas and their means of expression. The two principal names of God, Avaya and Elohim, are associated with the with Hokma and Binah, respectively. This is because the name Elohim whose numerical value 86 is the same as that of the word for nature, Hateva, Ayin, signifies God as he is manifest in nature. While the name Havaya being a combination of the words for was, is, and will be, signifies God as he transcends nature, i.e. limitations of time and space, similar to what we said above the experience of Hokma is to transcendent is transcendent in nature. 
in which the individual is temporarily abstracted from the context of his own self-awareness. When we contemplate the creation, when we think about him and how he went about it, we um, exercise self-nullification. Yeah, I like that you mentioned ideas and their expression. The 22 letters and the 10 utterances. Yeah. Uh, you know, especially during the 10 days of repentance, you know, to bring rectification for the 10 utterances. Um, See, the word beginning, however, refers to hokma as in the expression, the beginning of wisdom. See, the expression reshit hokma can be taken to mean the beginning is wisdom. Also, since hokma is the first conscious sephira. As opposed to keter, which is sub or super conscious, uh, it can rightfully be called the beginning of sephirotic and thus any process. Thus, although the first verse of the Torah seems to revolve uh, principally around Berea and Ima, it also contains an allusion to Hokma and thus to Atsilut. See, this double allusion to Hokma and Bina may be seen in the Beit, the first letter of Bey Rashid, in the beginning. The Dagesh inside the letter alludes to the point in its palace, i.e. the state in which Abba and Ima are equal and together. The Dagesh point inside oh, the Beit alludes to um, Hokma, Hokma, the point or drop, of insights surrounded and encompassed by the three line, i.e. three dimensional letter bait itself alluding to Bina. Um, uh, I need a minute. <laughs> cool. Yeah, so just kind of while you're doing that, um, looking at the fact that in the beginning you have the fact that it's the subconscious, the first aspect of thought, and then that thought being brought into a physical expression. So you go from Keter to Chokma to Bina which is interesting because that's the highest of the parts of theme. You have Keter, Chokma, Bina, just like you have um, Chesed, Gevorah, Teferit. So you have like the different triangles, which would, as um, like a lack of a better term, I would call it triangles, but they're called parts of theme or the personalities. And so 
<clears throat> when it comes to creation, that's the highest point, uh, being able to represent the top three uh, of the Sephirot. Um, and that's basically what's being recognized here, which is actually what happens with Rosh Hashanah is at the highest point, it's all the subconscious. And like, we're not even aware of things that are going on. And it takes us from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur to actually bring that down into its manifestation in the physical. So we end up going from Keter to Malkut during the 10 days. So talking about uh, the creation accounts, you have the 10 days, but then you have the seven because it's the seven days of creation. That's Sukkot. So you go from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, and then you follow that up with the seven days of creation. And then you end up with 10 plus seven, which is Tov. And then you have the seven emotional uh, Sephirot with the top three that we were talking about, which is the Chokmah, uh, Bina, and Keter. So that's 10. So that's your 10 days of repentance, the lower seven. So you, you have like everything is enclosed within itself. And so we're like bringing all these rectifications. Then there ultimately are 22 days of this whole time from Rosh Hashanah to Shmini Atzeret, which is also Simchat Torah if you're not in the diaspora. So there's 22 days that you're doing, which corresponds to the 22 letters. So anyway, you have your 32 paths technically between the 22 days and then the 10 days of repentance that are in there, the 10, 10 days, which is the seven of Sukkot, and then the three, uh, Rosh Hashanah, two days, Yom Kippur is one day, all of that. So it's like all inside of itself which is what you were just explaining before we went away about the point in the bear in the bet of bear sheet. Uh, yeah. Um, I, re I remember reading in Shivle Pincus um, that um, there are seven days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. If you subtract the two day observance of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, you have the seven days, which correspond to the seven days of creation, the seven days of Sukkot, the seven days of Agha Motzi. Um, seven times seven is 49, the 49 days of the counting of the Omer leading up from Pesach to Savuo. Um, also have the 49 levels of impurity that we exchange yeah for the 49 levels and, of purity. And Mashiach comes from a place of impurity, Mashiach ben Yosef. That's right. Um, yes, yeah, Hokma and Binah have a symbolic relationship. Uh, the inside of Hokma is now processed by Binah. And obviously if you don't allow it to move from Hokma to Binah, 
will disappear and be forgotten. Since it was not integrated into the individual's mental structures. See, this is why we need to internalize it. Everything we learn. The human effort. That's yeah. all we have to do. Yes. We have to internalize it. We have, this is why we study Torah. This is why we subsume ourselves in Torah because it is the very thing. Where this is why we become, also have to get circumcised. You know, because the way it was explained to me is that the Mashiach, he shed his blood for us. So what are we going to do to internalize that? Yeah. You know, it's like, where's our shedding of blood? The, the blood of the covenant from uh, Parsha Mishpatim, where the blood is spilled one half on Israel, the other half on the mountain, the 12 altars. And then Yeshua with the cup of the covenant. This is my blood, which is given for you. Like he's doing Kiddush. Yeah, which is one of the cups of, of the Seder, Pesach. Yeah, and also I will raise the cup of salvations. That's right. Um, so, yeah, so we internalize these things, and there's four cups, just like the four worlds. Yep. And the thing is, we have to be consistent in doing them for them to stay internalized. To become, mm -hmm. and ours, we, it has to be, become who we are. Right, a constant. This is why we continue to say Shema. We continue to roll the Torah scroll. We continue to dive in uh, with uh, Talit. We do the mikvah as much as we can. Now we can now understand the constant mitzvot and why, even though we've done this already, we keep doing it again, which ties back to Matthew 5, 17. <laughs> it's like... Uh, just because the Messiah fulfills the law, you know, that doesn't mean that we don't. Yeah. Um, nice that you brought that up because this next part, the, you talk, talk about the annual reading cycle. Um, one of the most satisfying traditions of the faith of the Bible is the annual reading schedule. It is a tradition that has all... Israel reading the same verses of scripture each week. It is a very ancient tradition that dates back to the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, the men of the great assembly. Our family has read the weekly scripture portion for years. Each year, each year we see more. This is why it's important. And apply more, even more important. <laughs> it is a family building and community building experience. It is one that all believers should embrace. It was a custom of our master to go to the synagogue. In that custom, he also embraced and used the weekly readings, Luke 4, 15 to 21. Because this tradition predates the numbering of scripture portions by chapter and verse, the passages are determined chronologically and called parashot, parsha or parashat, 
is the singular. A passage is also known as a sidra. In addition to reading the prescribed chronological sections from the Torah, there are half Torah readings from the prophets. While the Torah readings are chronological and are named for a word or phrase in the first or second verse, the half Torah readings are either thematically linked to the Torah reading or are linked to events on the biblical calendar. Those who are disciples of Messiah Yeshua often read accompanying readings from the apostolic scriptures as well, either chronologically or thematically. There is evidence that the first disciples of Yeshua used the Gospels in such a liturgical way. <clears throat> in our e-news, we will include commentary on the Torah, the prophets, and provide a prayer focus from the Siddur, ancient Jewish prayer, prayer book. We will attempt, Bezrat Hashem, and God's strength to provide these commentaries at the beginning of the week as is read on the seventh day of Shabbat which is what we're doing in this podcast. This is the first rumination. So I wanted to take the time to set the groundwork for those who are probably not familiar with this tradition, and it is a very good one. It helps you to get grounded in his word because there are no words like his words. Um, this is also one of the prerequisites for Kabbalah, is you must know the Tanakh very well. And Talmud, the words of the sages. Even our own master says this. When he, whenever he says, you've heard it said, especially in the ashrays of Matthew 6. Yeah. And again, a lot of this, uh, especially the writings of the gospel accounts, the writings of the letters, this all happened at a period of time on uh, Jewish history known as Tanaic period. The Tanaic period consisted of Tanaim, which is the plural of Tana, which means repeater. So people who repeat things. So during this whole time, it's all about repeating teachings that have been in circulation and it was at the end of the Tanaim and going into the next phase that we get codified Talmud the, like the oral Torah and everything like that so to think of anything being new or something that has never been done before that's not really true you know it's it's just you're it's getting repeated <laughs> you know like when the messiah said you know you're a murderer because there's hatred in your heart that's not a new thing it's just it's the inner dimension yeah of you know murder murder begins with hatred we see that in parsha Bereshit. Cain had hatred in his heart for his brother and ultimately, it led him to murder. So if you really think about it, what the Mashiach was teaching is already in Bereshit. So. Yeah, excellent. I would further bolster that point by going to Vayikra 19, verse 2. 
and you shall be holy, for I, Hashem, your God, am holy. And how are we to be holy? Look no further than those intervening verses between that one and Vayikra 1918. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. And one of those intervening verses reads, and you shall not hate, hate your brother in your heart. Yeah. Wow. I post that to the shul I, my wife and I used to go to because they would recite that, you know, yeah, they were a Hebrew roots congregation, but I would point out that how are we to be holy? I immediately pointed out, read the verses in between that one and the one you're, you're quoting. Which is so crazy because Parsha Kedoshim is likened to the whole entire Torah, according to the Zohar. So the secrets of the Torah is Parsha Kedoshim. Yeah. And basically, Vayikra 19 is a re-giving of the Ten Commandments. Yeah, that's why Vayikra is referred to as uh, Torah Kohanim. So... Basically, when we look at the Torah of Messiah, it's the it's the Torah that we receive from Moshe, but it's the inner dimension which you have to have eyes to see. Hashem has to reveal this, these things to us, like we just saw now. Like we've been yeah. looking at it; it's in our face. Yeah, which is why Yeshua says, "You search the Scriptures for eternal life, and here I am." And they testify of me. I come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. And we know but the one, father's name. But the is mystical, the, the mystical of one of the mystical aspects of the six ashrays when he says, and seek ye first the kingdom, the kingdom is oral Torah. That's the earth, right. the earth is Malkut. The oral Torah is Malkut. He says, listen to the sages. Right? While I was reading from Kabbalah of the Adamic Messiah. Mm -hmm. About the mystical aspects of the sages. And also, I was going to point out the definitions for certain words. Uh, Mishnah means repetition. Yes. Gemara means completion. Wow. Wow. So repetition and completion. Yes. Those uh, are the two sections. When you put them together, it equals the Talmud. Yeah. Um, let me. Um, that's what I love about the art scroll is they have a nice. Um, Oh my goodness. I go to I go to the back of the glossary and what do I come up and when I what what's the first thing I spot? Sadducees, Sedekim. Oh wow. Watch this. Heretical sect active during the second temple era named after Sadok, a disciple of Antigonus of Soko. They denied the divine origin of the oral law and refused to accept the sages. Interpretation of the Torah. 
like, <laughs> there's your church right there. Oh, Hebrew roots too. Sacred wow. neighbors. Wow. Parites. Yeah, it's interesting that sacred neighbors come from that too, because it's only through the oral Torah that you learn how to safeguard the name. And if you don't safeguard the name, yikes. Okay. So there you have it. Yeah. You were looking at some uh something in the Masekit there. Yeah, okay. Um some other words like uh Baresa or Baras Baresos, the the statements of the Tanaim, not included by Rebbe in the Mishnah, uh, Rav Kia and Rav Osea, the students of Rebbe, researched and reviewed the Baresa and compiled an authoritative collection of them. So the Bereta is statements of the Tanaim. Yeah. Okay. So when you see the phrase, it was the, taught in the Bereta. Bereta. Yeah. You know that Rav Kia, Rav Osea, the students of the Rebbe are bringing those. Nice. Bereta's. Another term that's important to remember when studying Talmud is Agada or Agadata, the homiletical teachings of the sages and all non-halakhic rabbinic literature found in the Talmud. Yeah, because you don't derive halakha from Agada. Yeah. But the Agada is meant to be teaching points. Yeah. Agada's can also be referred to as parables, which our master used in the same prose. The same prose. This is how you understand the parables of the master, because they only have one point. They're not meant to make We don't derive okay. theology. We don't derive theology from them as the church does. You uh, you broke up a little bit on that. Oh. Um, Again, Agata, which our master used, it could be, they're also parables. Right. They only have one point. We don't get to construct a whole theological system around them. That's not what they're for. Yeah. It's like a teaching tool. Yeah. Just to make a point. I uh, like the story about... Um, the Hasidic story about the, the man who went up to his Rebbe and said, you know, I, I want to be able to give Zedaka. And the Rebbe blessed him. And pretty soon Hashem blessed him so greatly that he started giving Zedaka. But unfortunately, there came a point where he started to get hard-hearted about it, got tired of people coming to him. Gamalese Hesed. You know, and he put a, you know, he built him, he, you know, he built himself a nice house, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But he built a house, he placed a guard, prevented people from coming in, knocking on his door and bothering him. Finally, the Rebbe was told about this and he said, okay, uh, I'll wear the finest clothes, 
hire a nice chariot and we'll go, I'll go and speak with him. And in this discourse, you know, when he was in the house, he saw a mirror on the wall. Oh, and in, yeah. And in those days, mirrors were covered on the backside with cassette, which also, which has a dual meaning. It means silver and it means money. And he proceeded to show, show it to him. So what do, you, what do you see? He says, myself. Hmm. He walks to the window, points to the people, and he says, what do you see? People. And then he tears the cassette out of the mirror. The, you know, he says, what do you see now? Or actually, what he does, he holds it out, and he says, what is this? Cassette. And he says, well, what else does it mean? Money. And he says, money used wisely is a good thing. But when it isn't, it becomes a problem. We, you know, we forget. Uh, it's a lesson on arrogance, too. Right. You look. You look out a window. I got this one from uh, this uh, little film that I bought on Amazon. It's called Echoes That Remain, about life in the shtetls of Eastern Europe. <clears throat> and one uh, Rebbe com says that if you look out the window, you see the world, but if you cover it with silver, all you see is yourself. It's just one point there. That's it. Arrogance. And humility. Um, look up another word. Uh, this is to help people since we're starting a new Torah cycle. Um, yeah, starting fresh. Okay. Gamara. A portion of the Talmud which discusses the Mishnah, also loosely a synonym for the Talmud as a whole. Um, Garrett Toshav, resident alien and non-Jew who formally accepts upon himself before I bait Dean to observe the seven Nochai laws. <laughs> um, well, you and I both know it, that it, that's not the end all be all of a convert. 100%. That is not meant for you to just stay there and just camp no, out. You, you cannot. Yeah. I, I mean, basically, what you end up becoming is a heretic yeah. among idolaters because you end up knowing better because you've experienced the revelation. Yeah, You know, like you're dwelling among the children of Israel throughout the Yom Tovim. And then you're just like, no, no, thank you. And you keep hearing the message of repentance. You keep hearing the message of converts keep hearing the message of people making teshuva, you know, like I'm constrained to point out that we see this in the Hebrew roots movement. Yeah. Because they reject the words of the sages. Um, they're pretty much 
trying to be Noahites. I've seen this for myself. Mm -hmm. And it is, it's actually a serious problem, spiritually speaking. You're, you're hindering your spiritual growth. You're hindering your ability to properly understand Torah. And to interpret it properly. And here's another, and this brings up this uh, word, uh, Gezerah Shabbat, which I use quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, one of the 13 principles of biblical hermeneutics, if a similar word or phrase occurs in two otherwise unrelated passages in the Torah, the principle of Gezerah Shabbat teaches that these passages are linked to one another. And the laws of one passage are applied to the to the other. Only these words, which are designated by the oral synodic law for this purpose, may serve as a basis for a Kazara Shabbat. This requires effort right here. Wow. Pay, pay attention to what you're reading. And it has to go back to Mount Sinai. Yes. Uh, let's see here. I thought I saw. Here's one. Uh, Kagiga offering. Festival offering. Every adult Jewish male is required to bring a Kagiga offering on the first day of the festivals of Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot. It is one of the Kodeshim Kalim, specifically a type of Shalamim offering. Uh, Moed, the intermediate days of the festivals of Pesach and Sukkot. These enjoy a quasi Tov status. Um, basically, I'm looking up the relative, the relevant ones. Yeah, relevant. some of the more common ones. Yeah, we yeah. use. Um, everyone knows Kahen Gadol, High Priest. Uh, uh, a scriptural analogy two subjects that are juxtaposed are compared to each other in the manner of a Gezerah Shabbat this rule of exegesis is termed a case uh, Items consecrated to the temple treasury or as offerings. We read about this in the last uh, Parsha of Vayikra. Yeah. Can't substitute them out. Yeah. Yeah. Once it's consecrated for temple service, it cannot be used for anything else. Yeah. This is easily applicable to ourselves because we desire to consecrate ourselves to Hashem's service. And once done, that's it. 
Wow. Because we're vessels. Yes, Kaleem. <laughs> yes, Kaleem. We don't want to break our vessel. Wow. I do hear Yosef saying that a lot. I need to break my vessel. And I'm thinking to myself, you don't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. You want to maintain your vessel. You want to keep it in good order. And it's so funny because I used to talk about being empty. I was like, I want to be empty for you, Hashem. If you break so your you vessel, you'll me. be empty all the time. You won't yeah, be able to just like, you won't be able to retain Torah. Yeah. And it's uh it was funny too because in my parasha, my Torah portion is Vayashev, and it talks about how Yosef was thrown into a pit that was empty. And it said that. Because yeah. it was empty, there were snakes and scorpions. It's, oh, and I was just like, "Oh, so I was way wrong." <laughs> but this is what happens when you don't have Torah. Yeah, no, it is the definition for uh, Kabbalah, a term used throughout the Talmud to refer to the books of the prophets. Mm. It derives from the Aramaic root to com to complain or cry out. It thus refers primarily to the admonitory passages of these books. B, receiving the blood of a sacrificial animal that is slaughtered in a Kli Sha'Resh, sha one of the four blood abodos. Wow. Oh, okay. The one right after it. This is one I know. Calva Comer, light to heavy. Yes. Literally light and heavy or lenient and stringent. A fortori argument. This is this is applicable to my cloakets discussions that mm -hmm. you read about. They they can go from light to heavy, from lenient yep. to stringent. Yep. One of the 13 principles of biblical hermeneutics, it involves the following reasoning. If a particular stringency applies in a usually lenient case, it must certainly apply in a more serious case. The converse of this argument is also a call vacomer. Let's see, halakha, plural, halakos, A, a Torah law, B, the body of Torah law, C, in cases of dispute, the position accepted as definitive by the later authorities and followed in practice. Uh, a halakha le Moshe B. Sinai. Uh, laws taught orally to Moshe at Sinai, which cannot be derived from the written Torah. That is Halakha Le Moshe B. Sinai. And see, Havdala literally distinction as well as separation. The blessing recited at the conclusion of the Sabbath. I was look, I'm looking, let's see. Um, 
another word that's good is uh, musar, which means discipline. Mm -hmm. Character refinement. Yeah, uh, more in the aspect of halakha, meaning how you walk out the commandments. In other words, to have the discipline to actually do it. Right. Midot are the actual character traits. Mandrega uh -huh. is Mandrega is your character. That's why that's the one you want to raise up. But you do it through Musar and learning about your Midot, your character traits. The Midot are the ones that require improvement, but through Musar is how we do it. Uh, for that, I recommend reading uh, the wrong cause path of the just. Yeah. Um, Everyday Holiness by Alan Marinus is another good one. Yeah. You know, books that bring practical application to everyday life as we strive to be like our master. Um, well, yeah, it's like the words of our master. Um, a disciple is not above his master, but every well-trained Talmud will be like his master. This is another Talmudic dictum. Mm -hmm. ah, okay. Men of the Great Assembly, a group of 120 sages active at the end of the Babylonian exile and during the early years of the Second Temple. They were responsible for the formulation of our prayers and many other enactments. Uh, Malaka, plural Malakos, labor, specifically one of the 39 labor categories, Avos Malakos, whose performance is forbidden by the Torah on the Sabbath and Yom Tov. This is specifically referring to the 39 Malakot of uh, regarding the Mishkan, the building of it. Yeah. Yep. In other words, the activity specific to the Mishkan itself. Yep, if you have anything to add, yeah, go for it. <laughs> um, no, I just, I've been just thinking about um, the whole thing about being able to look deeper into the Torah and um, being grateful for the blessing it is to see where scripture testifies about the Mashiach. Yeah, because a lot of times you can be pulled away from Yeshua as you're studying because you want to have like, I know for me, I've been around people who want to have a kosher view of the Mashiach and you come out of the background of thinking he's a part of the Trinity. You think he's a part of, uh, you think he's divine, like he's a Shem and, you know, and things like that. But we forget his words, you know, and when we start to get away from his words and we start to hang on ideas and theologies and then those get pulled out because they're false. And then it's like, what are we holding on to at that point when it pertains to him? So I've just been thinking a lot about that because 
like for me to to see tonight, you know, how Yeshua's words about not having hatred in your heart, like that's echoed all throughout the Torah. And it's just like, it's not just in one place. So the Messiah is never just in one place. He's like all over it. Yeah. And, uh, and that's a gift and that's a blessing that I don't ever want to take for granted. And I pray that anyone who hears this podcast, I pray that they don't take it for granted. And furthermore, that we all continue to elevate out of theology, understanding our Mashiach and not letting, letting ourselves be distanced from him and, and really sticking with the sources and things like that and, uh, and, and remaining in his words, like he said. So yeah. I've just been thinking about that. And it's it's fitting because it's bare sheet. You know, we're back to the beginning. It's like, what are we going to anticipate in this cycle of the par show? Yeah. Um, yeah, if you <laughs> abide in me, I will abide in you. And if my word abides in you, then you will do all these things, you know? Um, yeah. Beautiful, man. So um, beautiful. Yeah. See, here's some more. Sifra, literally the book, the primary collection of Tananik exegesis, mainly halakhic in nature, on the book of Leviticus. It also known as Torah's Kohenim. And that's Sifra. Yeah. Sifri or Sifre, literally the books, the counterpart to the Sifra, it expounds on the books of Numbers and Deuteronomy. So the equivalent of that with Shemot is the Makilta? Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. The Makilta is legally binding upon every Jew. They are required to perform what's in there. Um, Shemini Atzeret, the eighth and concluding day of Sukkot celebration. In many respects, it is a Yom Tov in its own right, meaning the seventh day of Sukkot is a Yom Tov and Shemini Atzeret is a Yom Tov. Mm -hmm. As well as the first day of Sukkot. They're like bookends. Yeah. So when you get to the seventh day of Sukkot, Atoshana Rabbah, that sometimes it gets confused as a as a, a Sabbath day, but it's not a Sabbath day. No. It's just the final day of Sukkot. Yeah. Uh, it's also the water libation ceremony. Yeah. And where, go ahead. Oh, <laughs> um, where Yeshua gets up on the last great day of the feast, as it is phrased in Yochanan. If any mm -hmm. man thirst, let him come to me. Yep. I was going to mention it's an eight ratzon, which eight is um, the ayin tav. Ayin tav means like an auspicious time. So eight ratzon, 
like a auspicious time. Hoshana Rabbah, the seventh day of Sukkot, that's the day in which if you're praying with a lot of concentration, a lot of sincerity, then this would be the time that your prayers are actually heard. Which I think is interesting based off of what you just shared, because what are we saying during that time? Hoshiana, Hoshiana, Hatzlikana, Anivaho, bring salvation now. Uh, you know, and Yeshua was like, well, let me answer that. <laughs> Because it's been given to the Son of Man to be able to do that. <laughs> so, yeah. So I just want to encourage everyone that on Hashanah Rabbah, like, take advantage of when you beat your willows, you know, like, whatever you need, ask Hashem for it. It will be granted. That's right, Hashem. And for us, uh, a few years ago, in our old community, we we didn't have a mikvah, and we we wanted one. And there was talks about, oh, let's get a mikvah, let's do it. What do we need to do? You know, and it was this grandiose thing, and it was just like, oh, that I don't know if we can get a mikvah. Like, do we have enough money? So Hoshana Rabbah came around. We were beating the willows. Our chazan goes to the podium and he starts beating on the podium. He goes, we need a mikvah. We want a mikvah. It took 11 months. So by the time Sukkot rolled around, we had a mikvah. Uh, the following year. So within that whole year, from start to finish, Yeah, it happened. That's interesting you brought that up because Tahor and Tameh. Mikvah. <laughs> person or object in a state of Tahara, purity. Tameh, a person or object that has been contaminated by Tuma and that can convey Tuma to another object of its genre. Genre. Yep, it's contagious. That's why Lashon Hara is considered a two months. Yep. And I saw um, well, another um, I saw uh, Tana or Tanaim. Oh, yeah, we uh, just talked about that. Yeah, sage of the Midrashic period whose view is recorded in a Mishnah or Baresa. Tana Kama, an anonymous first opinion of a Mishnah or Baresa. In other words, when you're reading the Mishnah and the first opinion you come to is the Tana Kama. And it specifies it as well. So when you nice. see it, you know that's the first opinion that is being given on that subject, being discussed. And Targum, which translation, an Aramaic interpretive translation of scripture, 
which brings up the importance for studying onkelos. Uh, see, tefillah, a prayer. B, in Talmudic usage, tefillah invariably refers to Shimoni Esri. Nice. Okay. Twelve Prophets. The final book of the prophets, which consists of 12 short prophetic works, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nechum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Yeah, they're called the uh, Trey Asar. Yep. Uh, let's see, here's one that's right out of uh, Parashah uh, uh, Zara and Metzora. Nida. Mm -hmm. A what? <clears throat> Nida. Okay. A woman who has menstruated but has not yet completed her purification process, which concludes with immersion in a mikvah. These are practical things. Mm -hmm. The you know what? <laughs> this is so misunderstood. You know, um, this is not this is not sinful behavior. This is not what this is describing. This is life. You know, life when you're around the Mishkan, because a woman in the state of Nida cannot approach the Mishkan. Um, let's see, uh, Yisrael, uh, Yisraelim, a Jew, be an Israelite, and uh, a contradistinct, a contradistinction to Kohen or Levi. Okay. Uh, okay, Yam Tov or Yamim Tovim holiday, the festival days on which the Torah prohibits Malachi, specifically, it refers to the first and last days of Pesach, the first day of Sukkot, Shemini Yatzeret, Shavuot, Yom Kippur, and the two days of Rosh Hashanah. Outside of Yeretz Yisrael, an additional day of Yom Tov is added to each of these festivals, except Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah. Yovel, 50th year jubilee, the year of following the conclusion of a set of seven Shemitah cycles, which we are in one right now. Mm -hmm. On Yom Kippur of that year, the shofar is sounded to proclaim freedom for the Jewish servants and to signal the return of the original owner of fields sold in Eretz Israel during the previous 49 years. 
this is one of those uh, mitzvahs that's only applicable when you're in the land. This is not diaspora, it's Eretz Israel only. Right. Uh, another one to be familiar with uh, is Tishba Av, literally the ninth of Av, the last day that commemorates the destruction of the first Beit Hamikdash, and the second one as well as the as other national tragedies. It, ca- it caps off what's also known as Bain Hamitzarim, between the troubles or between the straits. Right. Another word that's related to um, to May is terefa or terefos in the plural. Person, animal, or bird that possesses one of well-defined group of 18 uh, defects, which will certainly cause its death. Any of these defects renders the animal or bird prohibitive for consumption, even if it was ritually slaughtered. It is not kosher, period. Be a generic term for all non-kosher food. And then to Ruma, which is derived the parasha, to Ruma, or to Rumos, the first portion of the crop separated and given to a Kohen, usually between 140th and 160th of the total crop. It is separated prior to uh, Ma'aser, and upon separation attains a state of sanctity, which prohibits it from being eaten by a non-Kohen or by a Kohen in a state of Tumah. Which is a reminder about the book of Ayikra. It's, it's about distinctions. That which is holy and that which isn't. Got to have them. Uh, okay. Um, but let's see, I read the one about Tishbah. So 17th of Tammuz, a fast day, just like the 9th of Av. Among the tragedies that occurred on this day were A, Moshe descended from Mount Sinai and smashed the tablets of the Aseret HaDevarim. When he saw the people worshiping the golden calf, B, Jerusalem's walls were breached by the invading Roman army three weeks before the final destruction of the second temple on Tishbaav. See, Sakharit, the morning prayer service, Shavuot, they actually used the word Pentecost as part of the definition. The festival that celebrates the giving of the Torah to the Jewish nation at Mount Sinai. Shekinah, divine presence. And Shekita, which is related to uh, Terefa, mm-hmm. 
A, a, a ritual slaughter, the method prescribed by the Torah for slaughtering a kosher animal to make it fit for consumption. It consists of cutting through most of the esophagus and windpipe from the front of the neck with a specially sharpened knife that is free of nicks. B, one of the four essential blood avodos. It just gave the definition for a kosher blade. A Shakita, Shakita blade, no nicks. Yep, this is what Abraham used on Yitzhak. You have any idea how sharp this blade is? Yeah, you have to use the back of your thumbnail to test it so you don't slice your finger off. <laughs> yeah. A good kosher blade without nicks is so sharp you can slice paper with no effort. None at all. It just goes through it like knife to warm butter. The other reason for this is so the also the animal cannot be stressed in any way before Shakita. Right. right. Otherwise, it's not it's not kosher. Even if the blade is. Yeah. Big difference between kosher slaughter. And a butcher shop. <laughs> yes. Or a and slaughterhouse. All, yeah. Also, when the knife must cut through the esophagus and windpipe on the first try, the first stroke. Yep. So that the animal dies immediately. Any subsequent cuts causes stress to the animal, thus rendering it to me. Right. Uh, see, another word which we find in the Gospels, which our master used, to fill in. Commonly called phylacteries, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a Greek word, by the way. Very much, yep. Two black leather casings, each of which contains Torah passages written on parchment. It is a mitzvah for an adult, for adult males to wear one on the head and one on the arm. The same laws of kashrut apply to, especially to Philin, because as they do to the scroll that's placed in a mezuzah. The parchment must be kosher. The scribe must write it as if you were writing a Torah scroll. And I believe the passages contained on that scroll for the tefillin is um, Habakkuk 2, 20 and 21. Hmm. And I will betroth you to me forever. That's uh, Hosea. Hosea, okay. Hosea yeah. 2, 20 and 21. Yeah. Because that's one of the Haftarot. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. Uh Temple Mount or Beit HaMikdash, the site of the Holy Temple, also known as uh, Hamakom, the place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the Akedas referred to as such. 
because Yaakov used that word when he passed by Moria. Unwittingly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which I, is interesting because that brings up an interesting midrash. Because um, when Yaakov realized it and started back, Hashem folded. Oh, so yeah. Time for him, and he was right back there instantly, and he slept there that very night. And he gathered the 12 stones. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Uh, Mishnah or Mishnahs, mm -hmm. A, the organized teachings of the Tanaim, compiled by Rav Yehuda Hanasi, also known as Judah the Prince. Yep. B, a paragraph of that work. Uh, mitzvah, a Torah commandment, whether biblical or rabbinic in origin. Uh, let's see. Ah, uh. <laughs> uh, da -da. I'm just going to... Ah, okay. Musaf. Uh, additional sacrifices offered on the Sabbath. Rosh Hodesh or Yom Tov, B, Cap, the prayer service which is recited in Layu of these offerings. Um, Rosh Hodesh, a festival celebrating the new month, B, the first of the month. It's also important to note there's two separate brachas which people tend to get confused about. Um, there's the bracha on the new moon, which is right. separate from the sanctification of the first day of the new month. Uh, Rosh Hashanah, the Yom Tov that celebrates the new year, it falls on the first and second days of Tishrei. Sages, a the collective body of of Torah authorities in the Mishnaic uh, era. B, the anonymous majority opinion of a Mishnah or Beresa. C, Torah scholar and authority. And along with that, Sanhedrin, A, the High Court of Israel, the Supreme Court consisting of 71 judges whose decisions on questions of Torah law are definitive and binding on all courts. B, a court of 23 judges authorized to adjudicate capital and uh, corporal cases. The Seder, or Sederim, uh, literally order, A, the Mishnah is divided into six Sederim, Zeraim, plants, Moed, festivals, Nashim, women, Nezakim, damages, Kodashim, sacred things, and Tahoros, ritual purities. Ritual festive meal on Pesach.
but I think that should uh, give you a, something of an overview. These yeah. terms. Um, I thought it important, you know, to add to this, you know, since we're at the beginning of the reading cycle, um, because some of these words do appear in the Torah. So it's always helpful to have their definitions. So this will be one podcast you can refer back to again and again. Nice. Um, Just go back to bare sheet for clarity. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> for sure. Um you know, just to help out anyone, you know, who's who will be, you know, who's listening to this podcast who may not be familiar with these terminology, because, you know, at one point it was new to me, as well as to Met, you know, and, and a lot of us, you know. Um, but this, what it really helps is to bring you a deeper understanding and appreciation for um, Jewish thought and understanding of the scriptures and the methodologies that they used to bring about the level of understanding that you find in, in the Talmud. Yeah. And with that, we come to the end of our first rumination for 5782. I pray that it'll be a blessing to all who listen. Can you heed our song? May the Holy One, blessed be He, illuminate us in this new Torah cycle. Yes. Amen. Prayer after study all day. I thank you, O Hashem, my God, that you have established my portion with those who dwell in the study hall, and you have not established my portion with idlers, for I rise early and they arise early. I rise early for words of Torah, and they arise early for idle words. I toil and they toil. I toil and receive reward. And they toil and do not receive reward. I run and they run. I run to the life of the world to come. And they run to the pit of destruction. As it is written. And you, O God, you will lower them into the well of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit shall not live out after days. But as for me, I... We'll trust in you. Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam Asher Natan Lanu Torat Emet Vechaye Olam Nata Betokhenu Baruch Ata Adonai Notain Ha Torah Amen